0: You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about international cooperation and IOWA.
1: I'm Yasmin Lomax.
0: And I'm Micah Hahn.
1: And we are your friendly hosts of this here podcast, where you will be learning about both politics and pop culture on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. But before we get into all that, Micah, how has your July 2019 been?
0: It has been a whirlwind, but wonderful. A whirlwind? Yes. Tell me about it. So last year, I was neither in Canada mm. or the United States for their respective celebrations. Um, for those who oh, yeah. know, Canada Day is on July 1st. Um, this year, I was in both countries for their respective celebrations.
1: Um, You're like a frat boy who's just moving around to different countries based on their drinking holidays.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, I saw fireworks in Canada and then I went to New York to see my best friend who is living there for the summer and we saw fireworks in New York did um, you
1: record them all on your phone and then have like a whole camera roll of just like <laughs> firework
0: videos that you'll definitely look back on one day I took some videos and I posted them to my Instagram there so, we like, go right? um what else I went to had a great time in New York. Super hot. Don't recommend New York in the summer. Um, go in the spring or the fall. Um, then I went to Montreal and I found an apartment because I will be moving very. Wow. Um and then I came back here. And then the boyfriend came here and we've been having a fun summertime going to weddings or a wedding and chilling. It's been good. Very very busy. I love it. Yeah. I love it.
1: Um, I've had a similarly, similarly busy July as well. Um, I had two life-changing experiences, <laughs> um, one of which I actually, both of which were just things I did for a second time, but were probably more life-changing the second time, mm-hmm. The first of which I have already told Micah about, um, and I, I saw the killers. I went to Belfast, which is technically a different country. So I went to a different country to see The Killers. Um, and the way I described it to Micah when we spoke a couple of weeks ago was, um, it could be 20 years from now, and I could, you know, have just got married. Or I could have just had a child or just published my first novel. And somebody would be like, so what have you been up to lately? And I'd be like, oh, in July 2019, I saw The Killers. <laughs> that that It was actually June 25th, but, you know, when we recorded the episode. So um, that was... Just truly phenomenal. If, I cannot stress this enough. If anyone listening to this podcast has the opportunity to see The Killers, please, please, please do it. You do not have to be a mega fan. You will know more songs than you think you do. Mm-hmm. And you will have the best time ever as you bask in the presence of, in my opinion, the greatest live band in the world. Um, loved it. Then I had my second life-changing experience when I went to see The Strokes in Paris. Thank you. Um, Yes. Planned a little holiday around Lollapalooza, Paris, and absolutely loved it. Um, Unlike when I saw them in London, I could see and hear them, and they were phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, If music doesn't work out for Julian Casablancas, I think he should get into comedy because he's absolutely hilarious, and I am disappointed I missed all the stage banter in London. Um, I'd also like to give a shout out to French people for being like the best festival audience ever.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I didn't see like one drunk person the whole day. There was no rubbish on the ground. Like they didn't even really like when people were up on each other's shoulders, but like everyone still sang and danced and jumped around. Mm-hmm. So it was just like the perfect audience. Uh,
0: I, also yeah, one. Saw, yeah. Saw, saw was was, in Paris when I was there, like, yeah many many a year ago um like three years ago and french people were awesome it was great the best yeah Yeah. um and like
1: no one wore those like Coachella like festival (laughs) outfits that I just see everywhere there was like no glitter no like neon bikinis with like a bit of like a a sheath of glitter over it (laughs) everyone was just wearing like shorts, t-shirt and they were classy as heck and I loved it um very, very much my vibe of the festival would thoroughly recommend that and I thoroughly recommend Paris it also was very hot but it was very very beautiful very ornate and I saw lots of historical things and I got to catch up with one of my friends from Australia who I hadn't seen in a very long time yeah. so yes we'll definitely recommend that what would you recommend in terms of things you have watched lately Micah Because I think we both have not done any reading this month.
0: I've read half of, like, three books this month and have yet to finish any of them. Um, Next month, we'll bring you reading updates. Um, We'll come back with reading next month. Sorry. But we've watched Um, things. We have watched things. So I saw The Farewell, which is directed by Lulu Wang. Um, It's been kind of blowing up, at least in North America, as, like, an awesome indie movie. It's A24, which like produced the best movies in my opinion. Um, so it's. Stars- yes. My friend works yeah. for them. That's awesome. I think they are great. Yes. Um, oh, so, cool. so the farewell is about. Um, Aquafina or her character, Billy, who is a Chinese American struggling artist in NYC. And her family. Um, finds out that her grandmother in China has stage four cancer and they decide not to tell her. Um, not to tell the grandmother. Um, And so the family goes back to China under the guise of her cousin's shotgun wedding to say their final farewell to their grandmother. Um, And it's beautiful and hilarious and incredibly heartfelt. Um, And it turns out, having talked to um, some Chinese immigrants in my life, that this is like quite a common practice, I found out, of not telling your um, older family members that they're sick. Like the doctors won't tell them, they'll tell the family first. Um, and it, I think I was talking about this with my boyfriend after we watched it and that representation in media like matters hugely, but what it matters in this case is that it tells stories that like we would have no exposure to otherwise. And it gets, it like Breeds compassion and empathy and understanding between cultures, and like I left that movie feeling like I had learned so much about this culture that I like honestly don't know that much about, and it was a really wonderful experience. Um, also, like beautiful, like it's a gorgeous movie. To just look at. And I found out my fav- i have a new favorite celebrity couple. Lulu <gasps> Wang, who's the director yes. of the movie, this is her second movie, is in a relationship with Barry Jenkins, who is the director of Moonlight. And they're adorable. Oh, and power couple. Oh no! Currently googling. They're so cute together, and like it's an A24 oh romance, and it's wonderful. <gasps> I die. Oh my gosh. Stop.
1: Stop. Everyone, I implore you to Google image search these yes. beautiful people right now. Wow. Okay. I'm going to like copy and paste a picture of my own head onto both of their bodies.
0: <laughs> I love They're it. Super stylish. I love it. They clearly like love and support each other, and it's just wonderful. Um, the other Have thing. Watch anything else? Of, yes. I was in New York. And uh, somehow scored tickets to see Hamilton, which was yes. Um, I'd like to tell you that I did not pay for these tickets, not as a humble brag, but because you shouldn't believe that I have the money to spend on Hamilton tickets. Yeah, they're <laughs> expensive. I, I can't drop drop that. Like, if you buy them way in advance, they're four hundred bucks. If you buy buy them like the week of, they're like nine. So, yikes. Anyway. Um, but yes, it was amazing and beautiful um what was really interesting though was that like i didn't like all of it like oh like there were parts where i was kind of bored um like this the first half is amazing and wonderful the second half kind of slow um and yeah so but it's interesting to like watch something that's been so hyped up for like like multiple years now and then go to it and be like oh Like, I had a wonderful time, but I wouldn't be like, this is the best musical I've ever seen.
1: Totally. Do you ever, like, think about those things and you've heard so much about it and then you realize that you've kind of, like, formed maybe even, like, your own idea of the plot in your head because, like, you're not even fully sure what that's about. I remember the first time I read, like, The Catcher in the Rye and, like, obviously that's, like, the book you hear about and then I sat down and I opened the first page and I was like, oh, I have no clue what this book is about. Like, nobody's ever mentioned the plot of this book to yes. me once. But, like, so I was, like, really confused by it. And then, yeah, if that's not actually something you're interested in, it is very easy to not enjoy it that much. And it feels wrong.
0: Yeah. It was, like, I would highly recommend if you can score ticket somehow to see it because it is, like, wonderful. And it's very different than listening to the soundtrack. Like, the soundtrack, like, the entire thing is sung so you're not missing anything by listening to the soundtrack like plot wise but the plot is oh. well executed through the acting that like some of the yeah. like dialogue makes no sense without seeing it so right. it was really great right. okay, joke. Yeah. maybe but one day watch. I will
1: score free tickets as well we'll see Yeah. To be honest, if I had scored the free tickets in the month of July I would not have had time to go because this has been my busiest viewing month Ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we watched a movie together this month. We did. Um, over, um, I guess, FaceTime, message, yeah. I don't know, video of some sort. Uh,
0: do you want to talk a, bit, <laughs> a little bit about it, Micah? So we watched um, Swiped, featuring the one the only Noah sent um, <laughs> And it was I'm bad. Sorry, I'm
1: already laughing.
0: Um, oh, it I'm kind sad. of looked like a youtube video like when youtube was trying to do a high production video um like it was and and the plot sucked um, that is the
1: best description of it ever it was a youtube video no it genuinely looked like a high school like media project or something yeah with the weirdest plot ever like yeah. There was just scenes where, like, nothing was happening or, like, there was no music. Like, it was just as if they couldn't afford music to put in it. Yep. Um, there was, like, a whole – it was set in a college, but there was about half an hour where they went home for Christmas, and that just made yes. no real sense whatsoever. Like, it was just – oh, it was so bad. It was so, yeah. so bad.
0: Um, But not enjoyably bad. No, we did some um, deep dive detectiving for all of you. And found out that this was filmed before To All The Boys. Yeah, which and makes sense. Very, yeah, it's very clear that, like, Netflix picked it up just so that the Noah Centineo fans would watch it. And we did. Really so, we there did. You go. Good for you, Netflix. Um, yeah.
1: I went to see Yesterday, the movie, mm-hmm. my mama, um, about a week or two ago. And... I don't know. May- maybe it's a bit like you and Hamilton, but I really, really, really wanted to like it. And I really, really didn't like it.
0: This is, I've heard, I've really wanted to watch it. I, like I oh, really wanted to, I And then people yeah. told me about it and I was like, oh, that, that's sad.
1: It could have yeah. been so good. Oh yeah. Yes. 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 There was not like one area of it that I was like, that I thought was reaching its full potential basically um if you don't know yesterday is about a struggling musician called jack malik who is hit by a bus in a freak blackout and wakes up as the only person in the world who remembers the beatles he then like rips off the songs as his own and becomes wildly successful and obviously hilarity and romance ensue i think my problem with this a bit like my problem with the catcher in the rye is that i misunderstood the premise completely mm-hmm. after watching the trailer i thought it would be focusing on the science fiction butterfly effect element of it so this yeah. idea of you know a world where no one remembers the Beatles, and i thought you know maybe jack and paul and ringo would like work together to make John everyone remember
0: Beatles, or oh jack is in the character i understand yes oh yes yeah. so
1: <laughs> i thought you were alluding to another bit of the movie which i will get to in a second mm-hmm. um actually that was like a double reference there michael which you'll understand in just a moment um Yeah, no, there was no kind of, like, discussion of the logistics of that. That kind of became, like, maybe a B or a C plot to the rom-com side of things, which, in hindsight, I should have guessed, because Mm -hmm. it is a movie by Richard Curtis, who is the man behind films like Notting Hill and Love, Actually. Um, So, yeah, mm, I had a lot more problems with it. Um, Number one, that the Beatles music became, like, folky, like... The way that he brought the Beatles to 2019 was to become like the new Ed Sheeran, and to me, that is like the opposite of what the Beatles were. Like yeah. the Beatles were like heartthrobs, and they were doing it to get girls. Like they were fun and they, and they were, were exciting. Thank you. Yeah. And then they, yeah, they were rock and roll. And then he became like an Ed Sheeran, and I was like, I don't, no, 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 no. There was also um, a John Lennon grab that felt nice. really cheap, um, which you know from what you said before that's where that comes in and then to what you said before there's a complete lack of george harrison
0: i wonder if his estate was like you can't use his image and his personality i wonder so there was well it that bothered me more
1: you know i'm gonna spoil the movie because i don't give a i don't give a crap fast forward like 30 seconds you don't want Basically, in this world, John Lennon's like still alive. He had just never formed the Beatles, and he's like an old ass man who like lives by the seaside. And it was just like cheap, to be honest. But it annoyed me that he went to see like Jack went to see like the old John Lennon, but we never heard anything about the old George Harrison. And this upset me mainly because there were a few other things that were forgotten like in this or that didn't exist in this world anymore. So number one, the Beatles, number two, Oasis, which I thought was kind of like, you know, a bit of a jab at them being, um, you know, the next Beatles. A lot of their songs are very similar. Um, There was no Coke, there was no Coca-Cola and there were no cigarettes and George Harrison died of lung cancer. So I felt it made most sense to address if he was still alive, like it The whole thing just bothered me. Anyway, Rolling Stones writer and Beatles fanatic Rob Sheffield wrote a fantastic review of it. I'll link that somewhere. Yeah. He hits the nail on the head with it. Um, In another thing I will actually link, and it's a little bit surprising, uh, Lena Dunham wrote a piece about her love for Love Island, and Mm. I loved it. She learned a lot from Love Island, and... The finale at the time we are recording this just finished last just aired last night. Yeah. I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life now that it's over. Um but I loved it and I felt like her. I learned a lot from this series. Uh namely not to be so judgy. That's the takeaway I got from this. Um but in the other big pop culture phenomenon of July, or maybe even the past two years, because it's been gone for quite a while, Mm -hmm.
0: Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. have you watched it parts of it um like four episodes deep five and what are you feeling it's so boring i can't handle it
1: it's um yeah i i feel the thing is with this it, it's very very disjointed um nice. comes together at the end like, having watched the last episode i think i could probably go back and watch them all and be like oh this is really satisfying but at the time it just doesn't I felt the first season had action that glued together a lot better. The second season was really good character development. Um, And this season, I do like that it's matured in a different way. I think, you know, it's summertime, the kids are getting older. And like, I think that's handled really well. And it's also a lot darker. Uh, The only other thing I didn't really like was that it became a little bit self-aware. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the relationship between like Dustin and Steve is really emphasized and like maybe a little bit forced. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason everyone loved it in the second season was because it was so surprising and organic. So, you know,
0: I, I, um, um, but I there's a really, and the Hopper stuff, like, oh, he says no, he's very angry. pay attention he's very to her angry. saying no. He like, yeah. like, and he, this is what I was talking to with, about with other people is that like, Hopper is like cast as a super lovable, wonderful person and like who has flaws in the other seasons, but, like, isn't a sexist asshole. And then all of a sudden in the third season, he's a sexist asshole. He's very
1: aggressive this season, I'll say that. Yeah,
0: and it's, like, such a character flip that it's really jarring and frustrating. Like, you can have sexist characters in shows, whatever, but, like, you can't make a lovable character a sexist and expect us to still love him, like...
1: Yeah, I did feel like his character changed quite drastically with very little, um visible evolution like steve you know where that change was so organic that yeah yeah it it was it was it wasn't really like um i do think uh maya hawk or maya hawk as robin is fantastic wonderful she is an amazing addition Mm -hmm. um and i find like i don't often like when series introduce characters later you know you're kind of like these are my originals and i like them but I think Stranger Things has always done a really good job of introducing people later. So yeah. I'll give them that. Um, which kind of flows on to things I've listened to this month hmm. in that Steve from Stranger Things...
0: Released music. Y-
1: yes. Okay, so his real name is Joe Keery, but he is going under the name... I think it's Joe, but it's like D-J-O, but maybe it's yeah. pronounced
0: Joe. Um He has a song and we both love it. Tell me about how much you love it, Micah. I think it's wonderful. Um, It's like, I think you've described it perfectly in the show notes here. Thank you. Yeah. I
1: said that it's um, Psychedelic Beatles, Mac DeMarco, Tame Impala. And I think that, I don't think it neatly falls into any of those categories, but if you just took a little like scoop of each of them and like mix them all together, you'd get Steve's music. It's wonderful. Good, good on him. It's genuinely good. And I think that's where I was surprised because I really thought it would be like a cheesy vanity product project. Like, you know, when every Disney star attempted to launch a music career and all the songs are about sneakers and stuff, which mm-hmm. genuinely the songs were about sneakers. Like Vanessa Hudgens had a song called sneaker night. Yeah. Um, no, this is like a genuinely good song. Um, I think he was in a band
0: before stranger
1: things. So yeah. So he genuinely has like, uh, musical inclinations and ambitions. So, good job Steve. I wonder if he'll be able to shake Steve, though. Uh, maybe.
0: I seen so, Daniel but... Radcliffe like 10 years, and it, he's still Harry Potter a little bit.
1: Though. Yeah, I remember like my uncle saw the picture of him like naked on that horse that time, and like literally the headline was like, I'm not Harry Potter anymore, and my uncle was like, oh, what's Harry Potter doing with his wand out like that? So... <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. No, this is uh, genuinely, genuinely good work, Steve. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen the video of him doing the dirty dancing lift with his girlfriend? I haven't. I will. Oh, okay. We'll put that in the show notes as well. He <laughs> might be the most perfect person in the world. Mm-hmm.
0: He's,
1: like, so he's so far. I'm dancing.
0: tarnished.
1: Yes. Yes. I'm. I'm really impressed with him. Um, in other things, I've been listening to uh, the Big Day album by Chance the Rapper very Uh, exciting yeah yeah i'm really enjoying this there is a little bit of bad blood towards chance in australia at the moment because he canceled his appearance at splendor in the grass which is like the biggest festival in the country um about 24 hours before he was due on stage so uh, um but i'm really liking it i like the very unusual collaborations um like you know with death cab for cutie and sean mendes and stuff um I'm not big into Ed Sheeran doing this whole collaboration album. I'll take chance doing it. Uh, and I also loved Archer by Sarah Swift, which is her new single. And I think it's my favorite of the new era. Um, I mentioned before in episode 13, I haven't really loved her latest releases. Uh, but this one feels more like the slower tracks from Red and 1989. I would say specifically it's quite State of Grace. So if you like that, I think you'll like this
0: nice what have you been um listening to um same as you steve uh chance the rapper i've also so chance sorry, i
1: love that we're like will steve ever shake the name steve as we keep referring <laughs> to him as
0: steve um so joe sorry joe sorry joe um so chance like released Coloring Book, brook which is like the album that really blew him up it's not a, technically an album technically it's um A mixtape, like call them, and so he had two before mixtapes before that, which weren't released on any streaming services and were kind of annoying to find. They're like on SoundCloud, but if you don't use SoundCloud and you're lazy like me, harder to listen to. But they finally got released on both Spotify and Apple Music, so you can listen to his entire back catalog now. And old stuff is just as good as the newer stuff. So that's awesome. Um, I actually did go to a concert this month, completely forgot. Um, I went to Folk Fest, which is this, I think they're on their 42nd year or something like that in Vancouver. Oh, wow. Super hippie, like a lot of old people just hanging out um, and like families. So it's like people who've been to like 42 years of it and then like families with babies Um, and like... Some people my own age. Um, it's wonderful you, like, sit on the grass and read. And I found my friend got me free drink tickets, so we, like, sat in the beer garden. Um, who did we see? We saw, like, a lot of, like, Latin American bands. Um, Sam Roberts Band, who are quintessentially Canadian. And the metric for being quintessentially Canadian, I have discovered, is that only Canadians know who they are.
1: So Right. Like, I thought maybe it was, like, a double denim outfit. No, no, no so no, okay. it's like
0: every canadian knows who sam robert's <laughs> band is um but no one outside of canada does same with like the tragically hip i feel like the tragically hip have transcended outside of canada a little bit but they're like iconically canadian and everyone knows who Gord Downey is the lead singer um yes i gonna have to look into this but i felt the same thing when i went to lollapalooza like there was
1: some acts that were playing and me and my friend were like i've never heard this in my life and we would be at like the far side of like the festival and you see people just like singing along so it was obviously that people you know who weren't even bothered enough to go see them
0: welcome to politics um this week we or this month um imagine if we did this weekly that would be a lot of work Uh, yeah
1: this is a lot of work maybe if it's our full-time job like if we could get people to like sponsor us or something
0: Go to our Patreon if you want that to happen. <laughs> uh, also, my discount code for SkinnyMeT is DTC. 20 <laughs> um, Yes. So, in continuing on with themes of previous episodes, we're going to talk about the politics of something that maybe you wouldn't see as normally political. So we're going to talk about the politics of marriage. Um, this was inspired for this month by two things. One, I went to a wedding, and for some reason... Like, the fact that the state existed, like, or I guess in case this case, the province of British Columbia, where the wedding took place, is very enforced in the ceremony, which was interesting. The other thing is that there's been this headline going around about Denmark who has just changed their divorce laws. Um, or it hasn't just, but the studies have come out about how it's affected it. Um, and I think oftentimes when we think of marriage and especially weddings, we get kind of caught up in the bells and whistles of the wedding industry, and we think of, like, everything that goes into a wedding, and we um, forget sometimes that really it's a contract between spouses and the state, and it's about, your uh, like, your responsibility for your spouse in front of the state. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. How do you personally feel about marriage? My-
1: that's a very deep question but what are your your personal feelings
0: um i want to get married um and i like why i think i am now a psychologist (laughs) is it because i didn't go to catholic school who knows um don't (laughs) blame on me going to catholic school but your feelings on marriage um i would i i actually don't know it's very funny um i like it as a not as a state thing. I think a commitment ceremony would do what I wanted versus, like, marriage. That's interesting. And like, you also get some benefits from being married, like, taxes and visa. You get to chain migrate, as Donald Trump likes to say. Um, yeah, true. There's,
1: like, I think, I think, for, like, for me, when I was younger, I was like, oh, yeah, like, you just get married. Like, that's a, a thing you do. But I remember when I watched, like, the Sex and the City movie, and, like, Carrie and Big's marriage was more just about, them having the security to like live together both of them having that responsibility to each other as you were yeah. saying and I found that really interesting I was like oh okay like I mm-hmm. I, I like like I, I almost kind of like that idea it's good to have that security and responsibility um I think you're right though the, the wedding industry becomes more of a thing like when people say do you want to get married I think people immediately start talking about the wedding right rather
0: yeah. than not the marriage like, actual- itself
1: marriage yeah and there's so many things about you know what a marriage is supposed to be that I I think people are starting to challenge and I kind of like that you know people saying that oh when people are married they have to sleep in the same bed or whatever and there's lots of couples who are like that doesn't work for us because one of us snores and etc
0: mm-hmm.
1: etc cetera, et cetera. like I, I don't know I just I like the idea of conventions being challenge or a definition being changed but yes tell me more about marriage Mm -hmm. um maybe i'll change my mind at the end of this episode
0: (laughs) maybe um so to preface this i'm going to be talking about more western marriage um one because that's what i know about and two because we don't have uh hours and hours to talk about marriage and you could like take an entire class or write an entire thesis about it um Mm. yeah when I say marriage, I mean marriage in the West. Um, so, marriage hasn't always been about the state, obviously. So, um, it dates back to twelve fifty or to thirteen hundred uh, CE or Common Era, and that's at least the word. But like the act of like bonding two people may have existed before that. Um, a fun fact I learned is that the wedding ring dates back to the ancient Romans, in the circles that was wow symbolize forever. Um, which is cute. And marriage has always been really important in organizing families and was often integral to the economic functioning of communities. Um, And when you think of marriage, I know a lot of time we think of religion and obviously marriage hasn't been religious, but it became religious with St. Paul. um, And that's when marriage became a sacrament. I'd like to say this is honestly not surprising because St. Paul really did not like women. in the fact that he said they... In what way? Um, he, like, he's the one who instituted a lot of the rules about, like, purity and virginity. Um, he's also the guy who said... So Jesus said that women could preach, and Paul, like, basically rewrote the history and said that women could not be part of the church. Um, oh, what mole. Yeah. If you, if you read, like, um, any, like, sexual history or how religion and um women's rights intertwine, you get to St. Paul and see all of that. Um so yeah. Paul hating women leads into the fact that marriage has especially <laughs> has, has often been about a way of transferring women from one patriarch to another. So woman has marriage Ooh. can be and often is very constraining for women.
1: This um, is kinda like when we spoke about um was it in our The Origins of Pride episode and you were saying that like yeah, up until quite recently, like, marriage was just, like, the enemy of, it's like, feminism yeah. And stuff. yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. wow, it's not even something you think about nowadays.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We will actually talk about that later. I was yeah. going to link those together anyways.
1: Um, hey, Hattie, student becomes the master or teacher yeah. or expert or something. No.
0: Oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so as the state begins to be the organizing force in society, we see them regulating marriage. Um, and so, cause in like, obviously like in Roman times, there was the state that a lot of people were very um, dispersed and like, obviously in like traveling, like nomadic populations, you wouldn't have the state like organizing. But as soon as like people are governed by a ruling body, you see that ruling body, um, dictating what a marriage is and of course this varies across countries and looks different depending on what the state looks like and the values of each state and so the best book if you want to learn about the relationship between the state and marriage in the u.s is nancy kott's book on um on marriage it's called public vows she's awesome she's a historian at harvard um, and she's actually testified in a lot of the same-sex marriage um court cases in the U S so she testified in the case that legalized same-sex marriage but she also testified in a lot of the California cases and she testified as an expert witness so her understanding of marriage and how that understanding of marriage allows for same-sex couples to be a part of it um so basically amazing I love this so it that's an interesting like how academics can actually be a part of yeah changing the world so how cool the book is amazing um would definitely recommend we'll link it in the description but basically she argues that in the states um marriage hasn't been isn't a static phenomenon so hasn't been the same thing um since this country was created um and rather it's been defined by what the government needs so she shows this by showing how marriage has changed throughout time um So in the kind of like pre-Civil War pioneering days of the U.S., marriage wasn't like a contract you signed. It was if you happened to live in the same home for a certain amount of time, you were then considered married in front of um, the state. And it varied state to state. So at one time, you could be considered married in one state. um, But if you're doing the same thing in another, you wouldn't be considered married. And it was really based on like what the population looked like, what kind of uh like what they were doing so like the farther out um from the eastern seaboard they were the more like women had rights in marriages and women were like considered independent in them um but the closer you were the more like patriarchal a marriage would be and that would be kind of determined by like who gets to be married and what is defined as a marriage Um, another great book about marriage in the States is called Bound in Wedlock, which demonstrates the same thing. It's about African American marriages in the United States. And it talks about how, um, depending on how the state wanted to organize um, African Americans, they were allowed to be married or not. So like during slavery, marriages were like quite encouraged because reproduction was important, part of the slave industry. Um, But then during, so during the Civil War, a lot of slaves escaped and then had two marriages um, because they like left their slaveholder and found someone else. And then the state regulating those marriages was quite different and they weren't respecting the marriages in the same way. And it became much harder to get right. married when free production wasn't wanted for African Americans. So you see how um, the state kind of bestows the privilege of marriage onto people depending on what they want from those people.
1: Wow, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, and it's a, it, like it's a great way of organizing society marriage. So, why does the state want marriage? This is like the big question. So, marriage creates a nuclear family. Um, and the nuclear family is really easy to track and regulate so like when you do a census in most countries you're asked who lives in your household and how are you related and usually we can assume a household is married like two married people and their children um and but so it's now they
1: mad that like if the state had like a different concept of marriage like i don't know maybe they do in non-western cultures yeah. but like it would just become the norm for like I don't know, for like my mom to live with like seven men and like me and like my sisters or whatever. You know, isn't that weird? Like sadness about.
0: Yeah, because when we understand marriage, especially in North America, but I like also in Europe, you see um like usually a man and a woman with their children living in one home as a nuclear family. And in places like India you see like you have marriages, but the way that marriages like tie families together is much different. And so you see like intergenerational right, yeah. in a way you wouldn't see in North America. Um, and so then,
1: interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, and so when you once you've like tracked and regulated who lives together, you get the state gets certain benefits. So money is like a huge part of why we get married. At least in the state's eyes, um, so hmm. taxes are like done through marriage um, and differently in different states. So, like in Canada, you can like just live together and do your taxes. You can be common law; you don't have to be married. But they still see taxes as being done through in partnership if you are in a partnership with someone. Um, right. Interestingly, in France, um, they still do it taxes um, by so if you're a woman who you're married to, so if like it's the man of the household who determines like who all the taxes go through, which is fascinating and
1: horrible. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Like if I went to France, does that mean I wouldn't have to do a tax return or like worry no. about taxes? So you would have oh. to do your
0: own, but oh. say so you're a French That's woman and you marry a not French man you're married now, and he's responsible for your taxes, and you can't do anything. You have to pay them, but like he's oh, okay. in charge of you. Oh,
1: that's not like great. Right. I'd rather me not have to worry about the taxes, yes. and like, it'd be, like basically, I thought it was like marrying an accountant, but it's not like marrying an accountant. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, right. Yes.
0: <laughs> um, the other like great thing that marriage does is it makes the dispersal of estates really easy um so you know who gets someone's money after they die um right children is a big reason we see now why states talk about marriage um so we assume that nuclear families will take care of children and when we talk about like the evils of divorce often it's about like Think of the children. So if the state doesn't <laughs> for <of the> children, <laughs> um, so if the state doesn't want to take care of children, it's in their best benefit to encourage nuclear families to stay together. Um, right. Because, like, think how much money and time is spent figuring out what happens to children when they're not in a nuclear family. Right. Even like family courts are expensive. Um, another big thing with marriage, which I think is like the thing that I find most interesting and is why people are so contentious about marriage is that marriage is a way of regulating values and enforcing certain values. Um, so some say that the Mm -hmm. state got involved in marriage in the U S and in Canada, when the Mormons, um, started wanting to have polygamous marriage and the government thought that this was not okay. And so they really started cracking down on who could be married. Um, of course, we see same-sex marriage as a big way that values are regulated and enforced in countries. Um, the other thing is that like, marriage uh, enforces the value that women are inferior to men um, constantly. And now is much better, but has not always been. So we see marriages making it so that women no longer have the right to own property. Um, so you may own property and you get married and your property goes to your husband. Wow. Um, we also see marriage making it so that women aren't able to vote and men are seen as their political representatives in the public sphere. Um, also like major health decisions um, of like who lives and who dies and do you get to use birth control? Um, things Jeez. like that. Um, also horrible things like the fact that in the United States um, you couldn't be raped in a marriage um, because there was it wasn't a legal thing that could was recognized. So a man always had access to his wife's body until nineteen three. Wow. Yeah. So you see how marriage? Oh, I think wow.
1: that's like in a lot of places, though. Like yeah. I was listening to a podcast about that, and I think in Australia it might have even been even more recent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
0: Um. So. Marriage is this really useful box that delineates where the state can enter into your life, um, and in we a lot of times um, it's framed as a privacy issue. So in countries where your own personal liberty is seen as to be really important, marriage is the circle in which the government can't penetrate. Um, so in the U.S., this is the most like obvious. So we talk, we hear a lot about privacy in the United States, um, and it turns out privacy isn't actually in their constitution. It's not in the Bill of Rights. Um, privacy is a right that's derived from another right, namely the right to—I um, think it's to not be persecuted by the government in certain ways, and through that comes privacy. So, and and the pivotal case that made privacy um, the like legal precedent is today is um, a case that determined that a married couple could choose whether or not to use birth control because a marriage is a private space the government can't interfere in. Um, oh. Yeah. So this is actually what kicked off the ball rolling for a woman to have the right to access birth control. There was... Also, there isn't was it, like it. if I murdered
1: someone and then told my husband about it, like... Yes, so there's also it.
0: that privacy in a marriage. Yeah, mm, mm-hmm. juicy. <laughs> yeah. So, as you can see, the state tells you who gets to be married and who gets to have this benefit of privacy. Um, so, we see that marriage is this tool of the state to kind of regulate many different things. And it's a way that Mm -hmm. helps itself function efficiently. Um, But it also provides benefits. So it's great that if you murder someone, your husband doesn't have to uh, (laughs) tell anyone. Isn't that wonderful? Um, It's also great that you get to visit your spouse in the hospital. um, And that you get to make joint decisions together now. That there is equality in marriage, um, mm. and but you remember, like you were saying in our pride episode, we talked about how um, originally LGBTQ activism was really against marriage, and part of it was because it was the mm. state, because mm. the left, as in like the socialist communist left, um, was very tied with the LGBTQ movement, and they were very um, critical of the state. Um, but then we saw how with the AIDS crisis, marriage was seeing the benefits of marriage as a tool to get things from the state or outweighed the fact that you were operating underneath the government and they were regulating your life. Um, So, yeah, uh, I thought I would bring up an example of how the state regulates marriage in the Denmark case that I talked about. Right, right. Um, So Denmark has the highest rate of, one of the highest rates of divorce in Europe. Um, Why do you think that that is? Hmm?
1: Why do you think that is?
0: I have no idea. I don't know enough about Denmark. But
1: last year,
0: no. <laughs> the rate of divorce was nearly half of that of marriage. So it was like a two-to-one ratio. Wow. Yeah. Um, which Jeez. is intense. So um, in April, they brought in a new revo- divorce law that added some restrictions to how people can get divorced. At first, it made a three-month waiting period. So if you said you want to get divorced, you have to wait three months. Um, And during those three months, you have to take a mandatory course about how to get divorced um, and how to do it amicably. The last thing that they did was they said that children of divorce can be registered at the homes of both parents for three months. So it used to be that children had to be registered at only one home, and the home that the children were registered at that was usually the parent who won custody battles but now they can be registered at both homes for those three months in a hope of easing tensions between couples who are divorcing. So how does this involve the state other than the fact that it's a law that they made? Um, There's this funny quote from the psychologist um, in Denmark and he said That the three-month waiting period helps with stress, anxiety, depression, and reduces the numbers of days taken off of work, which the state really wants you to work. Um, Yeah, that sounds
1: like that meme that's like me at my funeral in a coffin, my boss putting a hand on the coffin. I can't believe you did this to us. We were understaffed today.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Um, So the government wants you to be a productive citizen, and you going through divorce, not going to help with that um also rude i know so also in denmark everyone must be registered at an address and so marriage is an important tool of getting people registered and how they organize this registration so um Mm. having the kids split up shows that this is their way of kind of figuring out now that marriage is breaking down how to continue their regulation of people's addresses and stuff um So yeah, that's an interesting, Interesting. I I was reading about it, and this newspaper in Denmark was like, this is a horrible change, it's really bad for the children, like the living in the two places, and it it kind of draws out the tension, and then Canadian newspapers, like, they didn't talk about the children's stuff, they talked about the course, and apparently the course is very effective, it makes people much happier, so that's interesting. Yeah, I wonder, like, I don't know,
1: I think it'd be interesting to see how this goes, because, like, You know, if, obviously if there's an effective course that can, you know, make people have happy marriages, that's fantastic. I like the idea of that. On the other hand, if there's people who genuinely shouldn't be in the marriage that they are in, it's Mm -hmm. pretty awful that they would have to do that course.
0: Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. It is interesting, like, there's many different reasons to get divorced, and one of them is that, like, you're in actual danger, and it seems very wrong you talk to this person for three months and take a course with them.
1: Yes, yeah, it doesn't sound like a good idea at all, so,
0: hmm, I think it will be really interesting
1: to see how this progresses. Yeah. Welcome to the pop culture segment of the podcast. And I'm going to talk about a bit of a media issue in July 2019, and that is bughead. (laughs) If that word doesn't mean anything to you right now, it will soon. Because this month, several major news outlets reported that Riverdale co-stars and real-life couple, Lily Reinhardt and Cole Sprouse, had broken up, except that they hadn't. Mm -hmm. The whole situation got me thinking a lot about celebrity co-star couples and how celebrities respond to rumors and the place of media and fans in celebrity relationships or celebrity affairs whatsoever. So I'm going to break all this down and we'll do a little bit of a discussion. So first of all, who are Lily Reinhart and Cole Sprouse? Um, Probably if you're over the age of like 25, you will have no (laughs) clue. They are very much in the, um, the Billy Eilish and Shawn Mendes sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. So they are actors in the CW slash Netflix teen drama Riverdale, which is based on the Archie comics. Cole is 27 and you would know him from maybe Friends or The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Mm -hmm. And Lily is 22. She's best known for Riverdale. um, But she will be starring in the screen adaptation of Crystal Sutherland's book, Our Chemical Hearts, which I am very, very excited about. Uh, And they play Betty Cooper and Jughead Jones in the series. So their characters have like no meaningful contact as far as I know in the comics, but they date in the show. So their ship name in the show is Bughead, Mm -hmm. but their IRL ship name is Sprouse Heart. Though I like much prefer Bughead. So we're just going to go with that. And yes, they began dating about two years ago, which is when the show began. And Micah and I originally got addicted, but had to tap out because it's bad. It's not good. It's not a good show. Um, I'm really sorry if any we of the cast are like listening to this. If
0: you like it, power to you. We couldn't do it. Like, I'm not even saying that, like,
1: I still liked it when I was aware it was bad. But then it kind of verged on, like, a new level of bad where I couldn't even enjoy it. So, um, yeah, it's not good. Anyway, <laughs> that's not what this is about. Mm-mm. The current drama is, is about their breakup. So, mm-hmm. let me break the break down, the breakup. Did yeah. that work? That kind of yes. worked, yeah. So, according to Us Weekly, the couple broke up recently. They ran a story about it. They said that the sources told the magazine the couple had split and they were keeping their distance from each other at the recent Comic Con event where they are promoting Riverdale.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: this story was picked up by lots more outlets, and people were not happy. So fans were very quick to disprove this theory. They pointed out that Lily had posted pictures of Cole to her Instagram stories just a couple hours before the story broke. Mm -hmm. So that kind of discredited a lot. Yeah. And then we had a response from Cole and Lily. On July 25th, Lily posted a cover shoot the pair had done for W Magazine with the caption, Breaking, a reliable source has confirmed that none of you know shit to her Instagram. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: then Cole posted the same image with the caption, unprecedented. Cole Sprouse and Lily Reinhardt consumed the flesh of reliable sources to fuel their bacchanalian sex cult. (laughs) uh, I just find him a little bit like pretentious. Like I feel okay, you know, bacchanalian, good on you. Whatever. Anyway. uh, Yeah. Uh, Lily also responded on Twitter and she said, Don't believe everything you read on the internet, kids. And new sources should try a little harder to be less vile. Reliable sources can kick my ass. Mm. So we could just leave it there or we could unpack the shiz out of this, which I want to do because I find it really interesting.
0: Mm -hmm. So
1: the first element I want to talk about is co-star couples, which seem to be a big thing in Hollywood. Which we like probably shouldn't be surprised by because like, you know, how else do people meet each other? Like a lot of the time people meet each other through work and, you know, for a lot of people, this is like a hobby as well as work. So, you know, it's their whole kind of life. So even within, you know, the show Riverdale, we have Charles Melton and Camila Mendez are dating. Um, In the wider Netflix arena, we have Natalia Dyer and Charlie Heaton who play Nancy and Jonathan on uh, Stranger Things they're dating. Uh so in the show and in real life um I suppose it would be like a little bit different dating from like a TV show versus a movie. Like with a movie, you know, you're probably working on it for a few months and then that's that. A TV show you could be with this person for years regularly. Yeah. So
0: like did Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie get together after Mr. and Mrs Smith? Wasn't that how that whole
1: show... That's, that's the controversy, is yes, that... Is true. Yeah, is that it, uh, I think it happened while they were on the show together, on the, the movie together, which is awkward, because he was obviously married to Jennifer Aniston at the time. Yes. So, ooh. Um, so, kind of on that, it doesn't always end very well. So, one prominent example would be Chad Michael Murray and Sophia Bush of yes. One Tree Hill. You're a One Tree Hill person, aren't you? I'm
0: not a One Tree Hill person, but I know about this because it's kind of infamous. Okay, it is. So basically,
1: the couple were married in 2005 when they were very, very young, and they separated like four years later. Mm-hmm. And Sophia said on Jack Shepherd's Armchair Expert podcast quite recently, mm-hmm. um, she said that the producers of the show were like really deeply inappropriate to both of us. She said they ran TV ads about it. It was really ugly, opportunistic and ugly. And when you show you're like a parent, you're supposed to protect your flock. And it was the opposite of that. I imagine that was hard for him as well. It was a very ugly situation on their part. I think they kind of lived for the drama. So, you know, I really feel bad for her here. I think she was only like 21 or something when she married someone and then had to work with them for many more years. Mm -hmm. And people were not very like understanding of that and maybe quite exploitative of that. Yeah. Um, and she ended up leaving the show. So yeah, I think it'd be awkward. I don't know. How would you feel about like working with an ex? Like, especially, you know, it's one thing to do it in an office, but another thing like in an environment where you have to like pretend like you're in love, like to act dating in a show, that's you know, true. that's weird.
0: I yeah. honestly how, how do do it? like in general, the best relationships you don't work together, though my parents work together. So what do I know. Um, <laughs> and, but Yeah like separate lives are good so that I
1: think so sure. yeah but like I kind of feel bad for people that you know if it if it does happen um uh, like it's your job and you kind of have to be like professional about that and I'd like to think that's how I would handle it but I mean I know people who've even you know started dating someone from you know the job they were doing on Saturdays to support their way through college and, you know, one of them had to leave after they broke up, mm-hmm. which is a situation you don't really want to be in. I no. think. My best advice is we don't do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Urgh, awkward. But anyway, it really, like, people get really into it, um, which is obvious when you see the level of reporting that goes into – Yeah celebrity relationships they're kind of one of the favorite forms of celebrity gossip and in this case fans were very very annoyed that publications were saying that bughead had broken up without any concrete evidence so lily and cole obviously have a very passionate uh, fandom behind them so for example, one Instagram user on teen Vogue's post commented, seriously, you don't even say that that's a rumor. Stop it. Delete it. I'm sick of this. People were like genuinely very annoyed by this. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think the reporting of celebrity gossip is nothing new, but in something <laughs> that is new, I think people have kind of wizened up to the fact that not everything yeah. you read is fact. I've, I firmly believe there's never smoke without fire. Mm -hmm. I think things usually have legs somewhere. But I think people are definitely questioning things a lot more, though I can't see this going anywhere, especially in the internet age, because I don't think this type of reporting can afford to go anywhere. So, for Mm -hmm. example, like, if Us Weekly are reporting on the bughead breakup – and another outlet decides to do as the fans say and mind their own business and not write about it or post about it, they're going to stop becoming people's go-to source of information. Mm-hmm. Because like we think about it, each outlet, for example, Teen Vogue, will have people who rely on them for their celebrity news. And if they missed a key story like this, they're going to lose those readers and viewers. They're going to go to someone who is reporting on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we need to find like a win-win solution here. I think outlets need to recognize major events, even if unconfirmed, because obviously everyone else is doing it and they're going to risk losing their their base if they don't. But I think they can do it in a way that aligns with the integrity and originality that their readers expect from them. And it could actually end up serving them really well. So, you know, maybe in this case, a publication could run an article that just straight up acknowledges that this is unconfirmed. Um, Or they run a story from a different angle that notes Cole being on Lily's Instagram stories, Mm -hmm. which is something that fans were super quick to pick up, but a lot of the journalists weren't. And I think, you know, maybe the journalists need to start thinking like fans Mm -hmm. and, you know, do some sleuthing that way. I think that would have made a really original story. It's just,
0: but isn't there also the fact that, like, Teen Vogue, all they want is your eyeballs. They don't care if they're angry or happy eyeballs. And, like, the person who commented there still made them some money?
1: Yeah, they still they still looked at the post. They still interacted yeah. with it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think if you wanted to, like, build a really loyal readership that, like, trusts yeah. you, it would do well to serve them well. Um, and I think people would have respected outlets that had done their own bit of sleeping there because that's like the, you know, the traditional idea of journalism, isn't it? Is that Mm -hmm. a journalist probably should be the first person to spot that Cole was on Lily's Instagram. And you know what? Maybe they are. Um, Mm -hmm. These were just hypothetical examples that we were using there. Um, I guess the third point I wanted to address about this whole situation is the notion of celebrities responding to gossip about them, because I was actually a little bit surprised that Lily and Cole addressed this. I find that like normally celebrity couples just act as if they know nothing about it and go on with their lives. And this felt like breaking the fourth wall, you know, especially because they're known for being a fictional couple as much as a real life one. It felt unusual to me to be addressed in this way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's like a nice and probably necessary reminder that celebrities do hear this stuff. Yeah. Um, I remember Anna Faris saying on her podcast that when she was married to Chris Pratt and he had done the movie Passengers with Jennifer Lawrence, mm. uh, somebody had told her, they were like, look, you know, nothing's obviously going on with Chris and Jennifer, but like every news outlet is going to make up a story about them. Mm-hmm. Like just, just FYI. And she was obviously seeing those stories. And I guess you don't really, you don't really think about that. Yeah. Um. Obviously another huge example was the recent Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga situation. Mm -hmm. His wife was aware of that. Her fiance was aware of that. They were aware of that. Let's not Mm -hmm. pretend otherwise. Um, But also on the idea of, you know, celebrities knowing what's being said about them. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about Love Island and uh, mental health. So two former contestants of that reality show, um, taken their lives recently after being on that show you know the connection there is not exactly known but it is important to consider you know the effects of sudden fame and the way fans can feel really invested in and opinionated about the lives of real people Mm -hmm. so i think that's just like i think Lillian cole addressing this is just something that everyone needs to just take with them a little bit you know celebrities do see these things Um, But it's not the first time that celebrities have responded to rumors. So notably in 2017, uh, Nikki Reed responded to rumors about a feud between her and Nina Dobrev. Um, So Nina had dated and worked alongside Nikki's husband, Ian Somerhalder, before they were obviously married. Mm -hmm. So uh, Nikki Reed posted a picture of the three of them uh, with the caption, For the last few years, we thought addressing any baseless rumors with silence was the best way. Besides, who wants to respond to made-up stories about friends backstabbing friends, cheating exes, or cast members exiting shows on lowbrow websites like Hollywood Life that are just perpetuating trends that preceded us? Yuck. I now see that silence was taken as an opportunity to fill in the blanks with even more falsities and juicier stories. And we, yes we, believe that we have a moral responsibility to young girls to end that narrative. Because at the end of all this, those young girls are the ones who lose. Their passion and endless devotion for a TV show is being taken advantage of. Replaced with feelings of anger through divisive techniques and other, and even worse, their minds are being shaped and molded as their view of themselves, other girls, and what those dynamics should look like are being formed. So here's to putting an end to all those fake stories on set jealousy, of onset jealousy, betrayal, made-up friendships lost, and women hating women. She goes on a little bit further, mm-hmm. but um, I think she really hit the nail ahead with that. It was a really good caption. Um, we also had the case of Rebel Wilson filing a defamation case against Bowery and she was awarded more than $4.5 million. It was later reduced mm-hmm. um, for stories that said for the damage done by stories that said she was lying about things like her age. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that that made her lose roles. So obviously like laws differ by country. So this isn't always yeah. a viable avenue to go down, but I think that's something to consider is that people can bring lawsuits against you. Um, I do think though that the social media response is going to become more of a thing Mm -hmm. amongst the younger generation. Um, Though, you know, if we all kind of go back to my previous point, I think any response will become less necessary soon because people Mm -hmm. are really wising up to this and they have the information resources to find out the truth themselves. And hopefully the media recognizes that and is creating content that is like respectful of that and like serves that Mm -hmm. well. And that ideally we'd have a lovely environment where, you know, I'll get the eyeballs and the content that we need, but in a very lovely way though. I think I'm probably being a bit optimistic there Mm -hmm. because don't they say that like a bad story sells to, as much as a good one or I don't know something like that but um, yeah basically I'm going to finish off with the news that we're pretty sure that Bughead are still together Um, I wish them well Mm -hmm. Um, and if they ever do break up I hope they are treated with privacy and dignity but Bughead forever (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty then. That is the end of another episode of Different Things Can Be Sad. Micah, what will you be doing before you are invading people's ear holes again next month?
0: Um, I'll just be hanging out and doing summer things. It'll be very Thanks. nice. Cute. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. You what know. about you? I think I'm pretty much the same. I
1: haven't got any um, concerts planned or holidays planned. Um, I've got a festival at the end of August, so I might. Speak to you before then. I might speak to you after then. Um, if it's after then, it'll be like the third episode in a row where I've seen the Strokes um, because I'm going to see the Strokes at this festival. Not a swear. Um, if you do want to see any concert videos of the Strokes or anyone else, you can follow me on the gram at at Yasmin Lomax. How about you, Michael? Where are you at? At Miss Clearwater, and together. We are at DTCBS podcast on Insta. Um, We actually both interacted on Twitter for the first time the other day, which shows how much we use that. Um, You can find us there too, but mainly the gram. Yeah. Mainly the gram. Until next time then.
0: Bye. Bye.